Last Wednesday, I began a series on overcoming life. And the title of the message is, I am an overcomer, which is a statement of fact. And it's something that I want to instill in you and ingrain in you so that when you walk here and live each day of your life knowing that you are an overcomer. Now, I'm not going to spend time reviewing because it takes too much time. So I want to get right into the word. And um, if, you know, if you weren't here last Wednesday, I would encourage you to stop by our bookstore and purchase a CD or better yet, listen to the message on, on podcast. Um, so let's, if you have your Bibles with you, go to 1 John 5. And uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to pray. Father, once again, we thank you for goodness and mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father God, for the anointing, Father God, in this place. Thank you, Lord, for your presence and your power, Father God, that is active and working, Father God, through us. And Father, we pray that you open up our hearts to receive your word. Father God, let your word come forth. Let the Holy Ghost take the word, Father God, that comes forth from these lips of clay and break it down and make it simple and easy for us to understand. Meet us right where we are, Lord God. Speak to us, Father God, where we are. And Lord, I thank you for bringing understanding and wisdom and direction, Father God, and bringing clarity to your perfect will. And Father, we're here to hear from you, not from man. And so, Father, we give you glory and honor and praise for your presence, for your glory, for your power. And, Lord, we thank you that the word will bring life, bring strength, bring encouragement, Father God, and give hope. And, Lord, for this we thank you we honor you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Last week we talked about what it means to be an overcomer. And uh, we also talked about... Not only it's not enough to know that you're an overcomer, but believe that you're an overcomer. And uh, we began to look at the word overcome, and I want to talk about, and I, first of all, I want to go over the definitions once again, because I believe that definitions will help us to understand the true significance of a word. So the word overcome in the Greek is the Greek word nikau, and the word means to subdue. And that word subdue means to bring under control or to bring one to their knees. It also means to prevail. And the word prevail means to prove more powerful than the opposing forces. That Greek word also means to conquer or to be victorious. I also looked at Webster's dictionary and found out how he defined the word overcome. And this is what he says. To succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty. It also means to beat, to trounce, to thrash, to vanquish, to overpower or to overwhelm, to outdo or to outclass. It also means to get the better of or to triumph over. It also means to stand or to be placed on top of any difficulties. So that word overcomer implies that there's something in the way it means, it implies that there's something that's standing in the way of us, something, some obstacle, some, some, some challenge that we're facing, and it needs to be overcome. Jesus says in John 16, that in this world we will have tribulations, troubles. He says we will have challenges, difficulties that we're going to face. 
But then he encourages and says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So since he overcame the world, that means that we've also overcome the world. His victory is our victory. So therefore, I am because he is. Amen. And we began to look at, and we, we asked a question last week. I said, one question that I asked is, why is it that when the scripture says that we are world overcomers, then why is it that so many of us are still dealing and struggling in our lives? Why is it that we're still living a defeated life? Why is it that we're not overcoming in our lives? And I believe that one of the reasons why is because we've not yet grasped the reality of our legal status. If you're in John, uh, 1 John 5, let's look there. 1 John chapter 5, and this is our key verse for the series. In verse 4 it says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5 says, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the fact that we are born again and the fact that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God is the basis for being an overcomer. John 16, 33, once again he says, I have overcome the world. That makes us an overcomer because we're one with him. He is the head and we are the body. But yet Christians, perhaps maybe even yourselves, are still living defeated lives, still struggling and trying to overcome. But here's the thing. I don't believe that we've grasped the reality of our legal status. What does that mean? Well, I started saying last week that it is possible to be married and be unhappy. Our legal status as a married couple is not equal to our current experience. And I want you to stay with me. So in other words, your marriage license declares you to be something, but your experience says something else. Are you with me? When John says that we are world overcomers, he's referring to our legal status. But what we have legally does not necessarily mean that we are experiencing our legal status. Do you understand that? Because of what Christ did on the cross, he made every believer legally an overcomer. But that does not mean that because legally we're an overcomer does not mean that we are experiencing that legal status. So if you're unhappy and you're married, it doesn't make you unmarried, it just makes you unhappily married. If you're defeated and you're a Christian, it doesn't make you a non-Christian, it just means that you're a defeated Christian. So. Well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say it's raining out there, pouring rain. And in your hand, you have an umbrella. You can say that you have, that you have overcome because you have the ability in your hand to prevent you from being rained upon or being drenched. Just having that umbrella. But let's say you go out into this pouring rain with the umbrella in your hand, but you're using it as a cane. 
You're still an overcomer, but you're getting wet. And the reason why you're getting wet is because you're not using what was given to you to overcome. Did you get that? So it's not that you're not an overcomer. It just simply means that you're not experiencing overcoming. And that's where so many of us are today. And here's the thing. Many Christians are living defeated lives because they're not using what was given to them. And many of them are walking around carrying the umbrella of life that's closed. When they have the ability to overcome by using what God has given them. So if, listen, if, if you don't get anything in this series, please get this. You are an overcomer. Because we are born of God. That is a status that you and I cannot change. That is something that can be, can, cannot be undone. Because that's what Christ did. And so therefore, it doesn't matter whether you accept the fact that you're an overcomer or not. It doesn't, doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. The scripture says you are an overcomer. The problem with so many of us is that we're not living that overcoming life because we've not yet accepted the reality of this legal status that God has placed us. And so one of the reasons why so many Christians suffer and struggle through life is because of that. Once we get a hold of that, once we get a hold of our legal status and begin to walk into that status, then we'll be able to overcome as Christ promised that we would. But you are an overcomer. Say this with me. I am, I am. an overcomer. Say it again. I am, I am an overcomer. This is not to be confused by, I hope one day to be an overcomer. Maybe one day I will be an overcomer. I want to be an overcomer. No, you are an overcomer today. Not someday, but you are an overcomer today. That's what the scripture says we are. That is our legal status. So our goal as believers is to make our legal status as an overcomer our experiential and practical reality. That's our goal. So how do we do that? If you're still in 1 John 5, look in verse 4. Now, we can spend weeks and months giving you reasons as to why so many of us live defeated lives. But we don't have time for that. But I want to point out certain important things that I think that we need to understand that we can apply in our lives. And, of course, one of the reasons is the fact that we lack faith. 1 John 5, 4 says this. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So this is the source or the means by which victory is achieved, our faith. Look at verse 5. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we're talking about our lack of faith in Christ Jesus. What helps us to overcome is the fact that our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus overcame the world. And it's that faith that we rely upon. And it's that faith that helps us to overcome life. And one of the things about having faith in Christ is that it instills in us an attitude of an overcomer. 
Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews chapter 11. There's a certain attitude that we need to have to be an effective overcomer of life. In Hebrews chapter 11, we, the writer lists a number of ordinary people who have overcome circumstances because of their faith in God. And we pick up in verse 32 where it says this. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and I'm talking about ordinary people like you and I, who were able to ex- accomplish extraordinary things simply because they believed in God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I, and I want to read this to you in the Amplified Version. But Paul understood the importance of living and walking by faith because he says in Romans 1.17 that the just shall live by faith. He also says in 2 Corinthians 5.7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. Paul understood this. But Paul himself was an example of one who believed and relied upon the power of God to overcome. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought that we could never live through it. Verse 9, in fact, we expected to die. But listen to this. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead And in verse 10, and he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Hallelujah. Listen to what he says. He went through some tremendous trials in the promise of Asia. Whatever it is he was facing, whatever it is that he was dealing with was very life-threatening. He said it was so overwhelming that he came close to death. He thought he was going to die. That's the situation that he was in. But then he said this, I stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. It says to rely only on God. See, there are too many of us who are relying on too many things. We rely on our friends. We rely on our resources. We rely on our finances. We rely on our jobs. We rely on everything else but God. Paul realized that I need to stop relying on myself and begin to rely on the person who will give me the strength to overcome. And that was God. Because he says, because he raises the dead. He believed in the power of the resurrection. He believed that that same power that raised Christ from the dead also lives in him. And verse 10 is what he says, because of what he did, because he shifted his reliance, because he shifted his confidence from himself to God, he says, and he did rescue us from mortal danger. 
And he says, and he will rescue us again. We placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. Hallelujah. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. While you're going there, let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter, I mean 2 Timothy 4, but I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 4 verses 8 and 9 while you're turning there. Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. He also tells us that we've been persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Let me tell you what he's really saying. He's saying, we are hard pressed, but I've overcome. He says, I've been crushed, but I've overcome because I'm not perplexed. He says, I've been persecuted, but I've overcome because I've not been forsaken. He said, I've been struck down, but I've overcome because I've not been destroyed. <laughs> Glory to God. So Paul overcame all of these changes, challenges throughout his ministry because of his faith in the Lord. Look at what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as he writes his final letter to Timothy. He wrote this from the prison of Rome, and he was in the last stages of his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you can put that up there. Beginning in verse 6, he says this. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the what? The faith. The Amplified Version says, I have firmly held the faith. And the message translation says, I believed all the way. <laughs> Glory to God. God wants us to go all the way. He doesn't want us to go halfway. He wants us to go all the way. But it's going to take faith for us to get all the way. Look at Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. Say, I am an overcomer. Say with conviction now, I am an overcomer. Say it like you believe it now, I am an overcomer. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4 says this, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you or to rescue you. This is what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, how God rescued him in the midst of the difficulties that he was facing, the life-threatening situation that he had been facing. And here's the wonderful thing about it. He continued on with his ministry. He continued his course. So an overcomer is not someone who just breezes through life without any opposition, without any obstacles in our way. But an overcomer is one who realizes each day that, that each day will present another obstacle, another challenge, another difficulty. Every day we need to expect challenges. And every day we need to expect to overcome whatever challenges that we face or come our way because we don't know what's coming around the pike, but God knows. But he's prepared us and he's made us an overcomer. So not be afraid of what's coming ahead or what's coming around the corner. Don't be afraid of the uncertainties of life because your life is in his hands. And you've got to believe that God is going to look out for you and protect you. And then when the stuff hits the fan and when you're faced with a challenge in your life, you've got to believe that no matter how difficult it is, you're an overcomer. Amen. 
and you're going to overcome that. And it doesn't matter how it happens, some way, somehow, and you might be finding yourself right now in the middle of a situation, but because when you start to believe that you are an overcomer, some way, somehow, God's going to make it a way where there is no way. That's just the way God works. But you've got to believe it. Go to Psalm 18, and verse 39. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to go home and read the entire chapter of Psalm 18. That is a psalm of victory. David wrote this right after he was delivered from all of his enemies, and including Saul, the king, where he spent years of his life running away and hiding from him. And he wrote this in verse 39. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. Paul overcame every challenge and every obstacle that he faced throughout his ministry through faith. Paul had an attitude of an overcomer. We just got to have an attitude. That's just the way it is. We got to have that gangster look, gangster attitude, and we need to stand up against the devil, as I mentioned to you last week, roll up on him and say, Not, no way, no how. Say this with me, I am, I am. an overcomer. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at another example. Very familiar story about David and Goliath. And it doesn't matter how many times you've read this story, how many times you've heard this story, it never gets old. <clears throat> and the story goes where David was going to visit his brothers. And as he walked towards them, he realized the commotion that was going on. He saw this huge, ugly giant talking trash to the army of God. He didn't like what he heard. And what's even worse, as the giant was challenging one, at least one army or soldier that would come and confront him and challenge him, not one would raise up, not one would step out, not one would, was willing to confront the enemy. Not even King Saul. And that just stirred something up in David. And so he said, I'll be the one. I'll stand up against him. Now, King Saul got wind of that and had David come to his office. And you would think that King Saul would, would give him a crash course on how to fight. Because David was just a shepherd boy. He's never, he doesn't have any military experience whatsoever. He's never, used, never killed anybody. He's never used a weapon on anyone. He's never had confrontation like that in one-on-one -on -one combat. It was just out of his nature. It was not his nature. It was not part of his training. It was not part of his life. But yet he says, I'm going to do it. So you would think that Saul would at least give him a crash course. At least show him how to use a weapon or something that's going to at least give him half a chance. But no, what he did in verse 33, he says, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight him. So for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But you see, that never discouraged David because he goes on to say in verse 34, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it. And then I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when that animal, that bear, that, that lion rose up against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Then he said this, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be one like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. But then he doesn't stop there. He adds one other thing. This is where we see the attitude of an overcomer. He says, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me 
from the paw of the lion and of the, the, uh, the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul couldn't say anything else but say, go and let the Lord be with you. You see, young David, as I said, was inexperienced. And King Saul tried to discourage him from facing him. And what King Saul really said was this, listen, you don't have a chance. You can't win this fight. The odds are against you. You're way in over your head. You just don't have a chance. Give it up. Sometimes people can be an obstacle. There could be something that God has called you to do. An assignment that he has for you. And the devil will send circumstances or people to prevent you from moving on and accepting that challenge and fulfilling that purpose. King Saul tried to tell David, you can't do it. You're not able to do it. You're not experienced enough. There are people who are going to tell you that you're too young or you're too old. People are going to tell you that you don't have the experience. People are going to tell you that you're not qualified. People are going to tell you that you don't measure up. People are going to tell you that you don't have enough experience, that you don't have the resources. But listen to me. Whenever God gives you an assignment, whenever God, when you know in your heart that God has called you to do something, know that you will have opposition. Know that there's someone who's going to try to get in the way, throw an obstacle in front of you, and keep you from fulfilling that purpose. That's what the devil does. That's his job. That's his role. It's to prevent you from fulfilling God's purpose. And you know what? It can be as simple as this. If he can keep you from reading your Bible every day, if he can keep you from praying every day, if he can keep you from going to church every day, if he can do even that, he's succeeded. He's fulfilled his purpose. He's prevented you from fulfilling God's purpose in your life. But I want you to know that there will be opposition. But I also want to remind you that you are an overcomer. And it doesn't matter what people tell you or what circumstances you face or what obstacle is thrown in front of you. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. And don't get frustrated. Be like David. Get that attitude. You know, get that hip, you know, hand on the hip like this, like Miss Anita does when she means business. <laughs> you know, and just look at the devil and say, no, it's not happening. Not under my watch. I've got an assignment. And I need to fulfill God's purpose. Let me give you an illustration. Some of you may remember this. Some of you may be lived through this. Ms. Bonnie, I know you have. But in 1963, June 11th, some of you probably have read it in the history books. But in June 11th of 1963, Governor George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, defied the federal court by standing in front of the doors of the University of Alabama in order to keep two black students from entering in. He made a statement. This is what he said to the students. You'll enter in over my dead body. In other words, what he's saying is this. As long as I breathe, as long as I have breath in my life, as long as I'm alive, you will not enter into these schools. Unless he's dead. 
So what he tried to do was to, to try to maintain a system of segregation in the University of Alabama. The problem is, is that the U.S. government has sent down U.S. Marshals to escort these two young black students. And this is what the U.S. Marshals told the governor. He said this, they said this, you can remove yourself from in front of these doors or we can remove you. But one thing is going to be the case. You're not going to block the law of the United States, which says that you must not maintain segregation at this university. Things are going to change today. Now you decide whether you're going to get out of the way or whether we're going to get you out of the way. But you need to know you will be out of the way. Now, I share that little piece of history because of this. When God joins us in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our personal lion's den, and Satan has taken a stand against you, and he's gotten your boss to come against you, he's gotten your friends to come against you, he's even gotten your families to come against you, he's gotten everybody to stand up against you. God wants us to know tonight that there's another court in heaven that carries the greatest authority and power both in heaven and in earth. And this so-called Supreme Court can overrule any system, any decision that is made against you. Anything that opposes you, anything that stands up against you, anything that tries to get in your way, well, there's a higher court that says that's not the final decision. That is not the final decision. Because no matter what you're facing, no matter how difficult it may be, listen to me, God has veto power over everything that you face. God wants you to get to the other side, but he also knows that you will have tribulation. He knows that there will be trouble. He knows that there'll be challenges that you're going to face, but you gotta walk up with boldness and you gotta get this attitude and you know, walk with a strut, you know, like, yeah. You know, and just look at, and just look at the circumstance and the obstacle and say, no way. There's a, there's a higher power that stands behind me. When the U.S. Marshals faced the governor, it didn't matter whether he was the governor or the, or the president of the United States. There was a power that was standing behind those U.S. Marshals that was far greater than the governor of Alabama. And it didn't matter how long the, the, the governor stood in front of those, that door. He didn't stand there for too long. He had to be removed and allow those students to come in. You see, that's how God will work in us. Because you are an overcomer. Say this with me. I am, I am an overcomer. <laughs> I, am I am an overcomer. Okay, how do I get this here? Okay, there we go. I just overcome something right now. <laughs> so we got to stop singing what a man be paying me God we serve because we don't serve a man be paying me God. We serve a mighty God. That's what we should be singing. Psalm 18 verse 39 says, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. David says you have subdued unto me those who rose up against me. We need to develop an attitude of an overcomer like, like Paul and like David. Go to Psalm 18 and go to verse 29. Psalm 18, verse 29. This was David again. Because of what God had done in his life, this is what he says. And I love this. 
And this is out of confidence and with an attitude. He says, for by you I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap off over a wall. <laughs> I can leap single bounds. I mean, I'm a superman. I can say, jump a single, uh, what is it, a building in a single bound? That's what you can do. In other words, there are no obstacles that can stand in the way of God's people. Now, let's look at another example. Go to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, another familiar passage of scripture. This was a story about this 12 spies who had just come back after a 40-day scouting expedition to bring back word of what the land was like that they were about to overtake. And the 12 spies, they all came back. And beginning in verse 27 of Numbers 13, says this. This is the report. Then they told him, meaning Moses, and of course all of the people were gathered together as well, and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and truly it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And we saw descendants of Enoch there, which are giants. And then in Numbers 13 and verse 30, Caleb it says, quieted the people, because apparently they were upset hearing all this bad news. And he says, they quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up and, once, and, and take possession for what? We are well able to what? Overcome it. So Caleb had an attitude of an overcomer. But overcome what? Go, to numbers, go down to verse 31. Because even after Caleb says, we are well able to overcome it, trying to get the people to, to, to rally together and let's, let's, get, you know, let's go to the land and, and let's take it. The people, the other spies, the 10 spies said this, we are not able to go up against the people for they are what? Stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We also saw giants in there. And so we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So if somebody tells you that this land has a people that's going to eat you up alive, that's going to scare anybody and discourage anyone from going into the land. Because you see, it's interesting because their faith or their lack of thereof is not only denying the difficulty that these circumstances are, not only is it preventing from facing this obstacle, but they also lack faith in God, that God was able to overcome through them. God made a promise. He says, take the lamb because I've given it to you. When somebody gives something to you, you don't have to fight for it. You just have to receive it. You just have to go out and take it. God says, I've given you the land, so go out and take it. But these people are saying, these people are too, too big, too mean, too fierce. They'll eat you alive. The, the, the walls are fortified and strong and high and we can't do it. How many of you have ever faced this difficulty or challenge in your life and you saw how difficult it was? We all have been faced with situations where we realize, wow, I don't know how I'm going to do this. 
How am I going to overcome this? How am I going to deal with this problem? Almost overwhelming. But we remind ourselves what God said. We are world overcomers. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith is in Christ Jesus. And he's already taken care of it on the cross. It's a done deal. We are overcomers. You see, faith does not deny the difficult circumstances. It doesn't close their eyes to, to the situation. But what it does, it looks at the situation and says, I'm well able to overcome it. Amen? But we only do that through the power of Christ who can overcome all of our problems. And as you remember, the analogy that I used last week, that whenever your car breaks down, and, and I'm sure you've all had that experience before, sometimes once more than others. Uh, I know I had several times when my car broke down in the highway. Worst place to have it broke down. And your car is pushed aside the side of the road. And so you call AAA. And what AAA does is he, they always send a vehicle that is big enough to handle whatever problem caused your car to be stalled. In the same way that Christ can handle any problem that has caused your life to stall. It doesn't matter how big the problem is. 1 John 4, 4 says, for greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So the wrong question to ask is, why are we going through all these problems? It's the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is, why am I not overcoming these problems? Now, with the time I have remaining, let me add one other thing that can hinder us and prevent us from overcoming. This is so common to so many of us. As a matter of fact, if I, if I was to ask for a show of hands, every hand will go up, including myself, because every one of us has faced it. But I would like to say that this thing that's, that is so common to man is a faith killer. This thing can cause a person to turn away from God. This thing that is so common to man is able to slow us up, and prevent us from moving forward, and even losing our faith. This thing, this faith killer is called discouragement. How many of you have ever been discouraged? Every one of us have, in one form or another. But the, but the thing about discouragement is that it can bring us to a place or, or, or give us a mindset of being defeated, of having lost before you can even win, before you can even fight. Discouragement, again, can, can really hinder our walk with the Lord. It, can really, it, it, it would be a huge obstacle. Because think about the last time you were discouraged and think about how you felt in your discouragement. I know that when I get discouraged, I start thinking like, okay, I can't do this. I start giving, I start thinking, having thoughts about wanting to quit and give up. But that's where so many of us are. And I, again, I believe that Definitions give clear significance to a subject. So let me take the time to 
define the word discouragement. The word discouragement in the Greek means to be spiritless, disheartened, or to be dismayed. It also means to extinguish the courage of, or to depress the spirit, to deject, or to deprive of confidence. In other words, to lose one's confidence or enthusiasm, or to be disheartened, which means to lose determination or confidence. In other words, when you become discouraged, you lose your enthusiasm to go forward. Many lose their enthusiasm for the things of God. Many lose their desire to serve God. Many of them lose their desire to, to pray, to read the Bible, or to come to church. They become disheartened. They become depressed. Sometimes to the point where sometimes in, in extreme cases, it can lead a person to even suicide. Because it can bring a person to a place of despair. Words like afflict, beat down, demoralize, depress, Dismay, distress, fright, and even trouble are all synonyms for the word discourage. And so when we look at the children of Israel or the spies who came back with a bad report and told all the people, and even Moses, of, of the, the, the evil people and the ugly people and, and, and the, the fierce warriors that they had to face, how they were going to eat us alive and how there's no way we can overcome it. There's no way we can defeat it. No way we can overcome this. Nothing is possible. They became disheartened and they felt their faith melted away. And having lost all confidence, they remain in the wilderness. And we don't want to be wandering the rest of our lives in the wilderness, fulfilling no purpose at all and going no place and accomplishing anything because we don't want to move forward because of the challenges that we face. And there are some of you here tonight that have been wandering in the wilderness. And you're probably at a point where you're tired of that. But because you don't want to face the challenges that you're facing or that you don't want to be able to overcome the obstacle that is in the way, that is preventing you from moving forward, it's time to stop wandering. It's time to stop going in circles. It's time to get, on, it's, it's a, to get off of that treadmill where you're moving fast but not getting anywhere. That's where so many of us are. And we need to put on our overcoming hat and get this attitude of an overcomer and say, today is the day I will overcome this obstacle. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Again, going back to the, the ten spies, and here's where Moses was speaking to the second generation. And he was instructing them as to what their next step would be before entering into the promised land. And they began to rehash and recall some of the things that they've gone through. And one of the things that they've gone through and one of the things he was talking about was the time when the 12 spies came back to report. <clears throat> And as I said before, discouragement gives one a sense of defeat and hopelessness. And it can sap our energy and rob us of our vision. Ah. Uh. 
I got a little discouraged there, but I am an overcomer. Okay, I'm on my way. Okay, what did I do here? Okay. Let's do this again. Ah, here we go. I've overcome. Praise the Lord. I am an overcomer. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 1. I was just testing y'all. And of course, we know the story. We heard the report. And many of the people were, became afraid and frightened and refused to enter into the promised land. And one of the things about discouragement that it can also cause you to be robbed of God's blessings and, and miss out on God's promises in your life. And that's what happened to the first generation. But discouragement can also be contagious and weaken other people's faith. Deuteronomy chapter 1, the question, the, after the, the, the report was given, the people responded and says, where can we go up? In verse 28, our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying that the people are greater and taller than we, and the cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anak there. The Amplified, the Amplified Version says that our brethren made our hearts melt. And so when you're discouraged and you begin to talk about your discouragement, that can also cause someone else to be discouraged. What caused their heart to melt? Well, they says this, the people are greater and taller than we. The circumstances that we face in life is too difficult. I'm not able to overcome because I've tried and I've failed. So there's no point in trying again. He said, the cities are great and, and, and fortified up to heaven, which is an exaggeration. But it seemed that way to them. It's, under, it's interesting how when you see something difficult, it becomes larger and bigger than it really is. And he says, moreover, we've seen the sons of the Anakim that were there, which is the giants. So the people, having heard the report out of fear and discouragement, grumbled and rebelled against God. In Numbers 13, verse 33, you don't need to turn there. They said, we saw the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our sight. And therefore, we are grasshoppers in their sight. So they, be, they had a low self-esteem, a low image of themselves. And believing that they could not overcome, believing that they would not be able to, over, to, to come in and take the land as God had promised and people, we need to learn to trust God. There's a place that God wants, us, wants to take us. If you ever go to the beach and you go into the water and you're ankle deep, you walk a little further and you're knee deep, and then you go even further and now you're waist deep, you're still pretty safe and you're, you're feeling you know, pretty secure. But you go even further and now you're, you're chest deep. You're a little, you know, antsy about going further, but as long as you can feel the bottom, you're okay. Then you go a little further, take another step, and now you're neck deep. That's where some of us stop. Because we know that the next step, <laughs> there's nothing there to step on. See, God wants us to take that step where instead of relying on the ground and feeling secure about what's underneath, God wants us at that place to trust him. 
So we need to dare to trust him. Even though it may look scary or seem scary, but he wants us to take that next step and trust him and watch him do some amazing things in your lives. I guarantee it. Go to Ezra chapter 4. Discouragement. In Ezra chapter 4, we read the history where the children of Israel had been in captivity for 70 years. And after 70 years, God opened the door for them to go back because in Jer- according to Jeremiah, he prophesied that after 70 years, they would return back to Jerusalem and back to their homeland to rebuild back their lives. Well, that time came, and King Darius, who was a ruler at that time, released the first wave of God's people to go into Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the temple. The first order of business was to rebuild the temple. Now, we pick up in verse 1 of Ezra chapter 4, and it says this. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord, God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you. For we seek your God as you do, and we face, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Irshadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Verse 3, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's house of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build, house, to build a house for our God. But we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah, and they troubled them in building and even hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, and even until the reign of king of Persia. So because they would not be allowed to help build the temple, not that they really was interested in building the temple, but they wanted to sabotage it. But when Zerubbabel says, no, we will do this, they got angry and decided, okay, well, then we're going to do this. And so they began to harass them and try to hinder them from building them by constantly threatening them and even sending counselors to frustrate them. And that's so like life. That when we have the first order of business that God wants us to tend to and opposition comes to try to frustrate you and keep you from fulfilling that order of business. Now, because of this, the people became so discouraged that they stopped building. Sixteen years had gone by and the temple remained in ruins. Now, I want you to go to the book of Haggai. Matter of fact, in Ezra chapter 4 and verse 24, it says that the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. and It was discontinued. And 16 years went by. Now, go to Haggai chapter 1. And, after, and on the 16th year, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this temple lie in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring little. You eat 
but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earn wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build a temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. But when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to your own house. These people became so discouraged that they realized they, that if they continued trying to build the temple, they would, they would continually be harassed and frustrated. So they gave up and quit. Remember, that was the first order of business was to build the temple. And because they did not do that, they tended to their own home and to their own business. And because of that, their farming and their wages failed. Nothing they did was satisfying. No matter what they've done, no matter where they went, they always fell short. They always seemed not to have enough. They always seemed to have a want because they did not tend to God's business. It reminds me of what Matthew 6.33 says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Some of you, God has spoken to, to tend to a certain business, and you left the business to tend to something else, and because of that, you're struggling. But if you stop and go back to what God told you to do at first, it's time to tend to that business. Because you cannot get blessed, you cannot enjoy the fruits of your labor, you cannot be, receive the blessings of God or even obtain the promises of God until you take care of God's business first. That was the problem with the children of Israel. But thank the Lord, they finally got it. And they began to rebuild the temple. And God was glorified. And God had a house that he can come and where he can be worshipped. God wants you to worship him. God wants you to put him first place in your life. God wants you to tend to his business first. And you know, we live in a society where we want to take care of business, we want to try to get as much done, we even try to, to try to do so much at once. But sometimes we need to stop and look at what God wants. And sometimes the pressure of life, the pressure of this world, or the pressure in our job, want us to focus on completing that task when God is saying, I need you to take care of this first. You can't go any further, you can't accomplish much until you take care of this business, until you take care of God's business. And twice, he says, consider your ways. In other words, what he's saying, take a good look at your life since you stopped building the temple. Take a look around you. Take a look at how you're living. Take a look at all the things that have gone on in your life. Why? Because you didn't take care of the first order of business. Nothing had gone right until they built the temple. I'm going to stop here. But I want you to take heed tonight what God is saying. God does not want you walking around in the wilderness anymore. He's given you a task. 
He's giving you an assignment. He's giving you a responsibility. And it's time for you to take care of that first. Because maybe then, as you look at your life and see where it's at, and realize there's something missing, it could be that maybe you've forgotten to take care of God's business first. You are an overcomer no matter what you face in life. Whether you believe it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, but you are an overcomer. Leave here knowing that you are an overcomer. That is a done deal that was taken care of at the cross, and you cannot undo it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for your word. I pray, Father God, that your word encouraged, that your word strengthened, that your word, Father God, open up our eyes, give us revelation, understanding of your perfect will, Father God. Lord, I pray that your word will come, not come back unto us void, come back into you void, but it will accomplish what you please. Your word says that you watch over your word to perform it. And Lord, I thank you that tonight your word is performing. That your word, Father God, is seeping in our hearts, speaking to us, ministering to us. And Father, when we leave here tonight, that the Holy Ghost will continue to speak to them and minister to them the truth of your word. So Father, I thank you, Lord. Bring us to a place, Father God, that we face whatever challenges that come our way and not run away or become afraid or become intimidated or lose our confidence and lose our heart. But Lord, let us look to you, trust in you, and believe, Father God, that we can overcome and that we're well able to overcome it. Father, I thank you that everyone that is here tonight, Father, that you've spoken to, I thank you, Father God, revealing your purpose and your will that now, Lord, that you take the next step in their lives. And Father, once they've acknowledged you and knowledge the truth, that they'll begin to start living life like an overcomer, that they'll begin to experience an overcoming life because they've acknowledged the fact, Lord God, that they are legally, through your Son, overcomers of this world. And Lord, for this I thank you and give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> I want all eyes closed and no one looking around.